Well, I don't know about you, but I didn't expect Spanish tonight as a worship song. Um, but at the same time, there's something powerful about singing in another language. It gives you just a taste of heaven, right? Because I guarantee you, we're not going to be singing English in heaven. We're going to be singing a lot of different songs in different languages. And all of them pointed one direction at Jesus. And so it's awesome just to get a taste of that tonight. Um, if you have a copy of your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to John chapter 20. We're going to be reading out of that text in just a bit. But on October 30th, 1938, CBS crossed the barrier. They didn't know they were going to do anything new or anything innovative, but they aired a new show called The War of the Worlds. Now, back in that day, uh, and I know this is a big stretch for some of us, but people didn't have computers, there was no internet, there was no Wikipedia or Google or search engines or news on television. Everybody sat around their radio at night. It was like the primary way people like, got their news and kind of wound down for the day. And so they started this show, and at the beginning, to their credit, they gave a disclaimer that everything was going to be fake, but... As the show went on, they began an immersive experience that the people did not expect. As the music was going, so I don't know what kind of music, probably something a lot like Lawrence Welk, if some of you guys know what that is. Some of you guys like, no idea, and that's cool, okay? Just think like old people music, all right? So the old people music's going, people are hanging out, and uh, <clears throat> there's a interruption by a a newsman who breathlessly tells everybody that Martians have invaded New York City. And the craziest thing about it is that people believe them. So I know that Elon Musk is trying to take us all to Mars, right? He's got a plan. Uh, Back then, they didn't know really what was on the red planet, but there was all kinds of literature, all kinds of stories about what could be on Mars. So when they heard this about maybe that Martians were coming to America to invade us, people went crazy. They locked their doors, they started prepping, and they absolutely thought the world was ending. And I just got to say, uh, sometimes doubt gets a bad rap, but sometimes it's very helpful, right? Sometimes you got to doubt stuff. Back then, they couldn't Google it and say, like, hey, is there something really going on? Like, we do. When something happens, it's crazy. We're like, what do we do? We immediately go to our phones and pull it out and go, hey, is this really happening? We look at different sources on the Internet or on Twitter or on whatever kind of device that you use. But in that, they didn't have any of that. But some doubt would have been very helpful. And I think our community, our culture that we're in right now, doubt has become such a part of our landscape that it's permeated almost everything we do. From elections, people are like, okay, that was stolen or not, to fake news, to the person who's sending you random messages trying to get you to to click on some kind of link so they can hack your phone, or the phone call that you're getting telling you that your warranty has run out and you need to renew it. I remember the first one of those I got. Somebody called me and told me that uh, the IRS had a warrant out for my arrest. You guys get that one? I was scared for like five seconds. And I was like, wait, the IRS doesn't arrest people? But you better believe I Googled it. I was like, does the IRS arrest people? Like, am I really in trouble? Because in the back of our mind, we wrestle with this idea of can we believe it or not? 
And uh, I, I think it's important for us to talk about this because I see in our country young adults and some who are not so young asking really hard questions and feeling like it's unsafe to ask them in church. Like we think almost the word doubt is a, is a uh, four-letter word, although it's got five letters. We think it's like a, a dirty word, but doubt isn't dirty, okay? We need to have a safe place in churches where we can ask the hard questions and say, what about pain and suffering? What about evil? What about racism? What about what the church has done in the past? What about the questions I have about how science and the Bible, how do they intersect? When I usually get about that, it's like, what about the dinosaurs? Which is like my favorite one to answer. But it should be safe to ask those questions in church. It just should be safe to ask them. And I think it's important for us to realize that uh, one of the lies that we've heard is that you have to have the answers right before you can belong to a church. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And tonight we're going to look at a story about a guy who doubts. His name is Thomas. Most of you know him as Doubting Thomas, although I think he's got a bad rap. Probably shouldn't be his name. But let's read that, that passage of Scripture together. So John chapter 20, verse 24, it says this. But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Do not Uh, Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Well, a little bit of background work would be helpful for us as we look at this story. So um, Jesus died, was buried, and then was raised again. No one saw it coming. The disciples were not expecting it. They thought Jesus was going to take over the country. He's going to kick out the Romans and set up a new government where they would have the power positions. And they were waiting for this anxiously. In fact, throughout the Gospels, you find them saying, okay, Jesus, is it now time for you to bring in your kingdom? But instead, Jesus is executed. And then he's buried. And they lose all hope. But on Easter morning... Reports start circulating. Mary and some of her friends go to prepare the body. They find a bunch of knocked out soldiers and a stone that's been rolled away. And angels telling them that Jesus has been raised to life. So they say, we got to go back and tell the others. So they tell the others. This is what I love about the Bible. The Bible says no one believed them. Okay? So if you hear the account of the resurrection or you hear about miracles in the Bible, just know that the Bible also says we know this is crazy. Okay, sometimes we think everybody in the Bible is like, yeah, that's cool because we believe in magic. But in Jesus' day, the resurrection was a foreign idea. They had no idea that it was possible. Even though they'd seen Lazarus get raised again, they still doubted and still did not believe that a man could be raised from the tomb. In fact, the only one that they'd seen do that was Jesus, but he was dead. So who's going to raise Jesus from the dead if he's dead? 
And yet Jesus starts appearing to people. He appears to two men walking on the way to Emmaus. My favorite part of that story is that they're walking seven miles. It's like walking from here to Franklin. And he's talking to them the whole way. When they get there, they realize it's Jesus. And then he disappears and makes them walk all the way back. So they do. They, they hoof it back to town. They find Peter and the others. And they say, we saw Jesus. And in the middle of that conversation, Jesus himself shows up in the room and reveals himself to them. And they worship him. But there's one guy who's not there. We don't know why he's not there. But Thomas isn't there. And Thomas says, I won't believe unless, and this gets kind of gross, because unless I see the marks of the crucifixion where the nails went into his hands and I put my finger in that hole. And then I also want to go make sure that there was a hole at his heart in his side where he was stabbed by the spear. I actually want to put my hand into it. Now that's gross, right? We're not going to do a reenactment of that. It's kind of impossible actually because no one's been crucified here. However, Thomas is like, I need a strong burden of proof to believe. And I think this is important for us because often when we show up at church, we have doubts. And it's fair to have doubts. I think there's four kinds of doubt that we find Thomas exhibiting here that are mirrors to a lot of ours. The first one is he has a doubt of data. He wants to have all the information like he should. Like how in the world does a dead man rise again? How is that possible? What power could do that? How could he get back up? How did God make him alive again? That does not seem to make sense. He had a question about how. Second question he had was about disruption. See, Thomas was, as I said, preparing his whole life to become one of Jesus's squad, one of the rulers of the kingdom of Israel. He had a plan and he had a plan that he thought was gonna work. He finally met the Messiah and he was like, man, I'm in, it's gonna happen. And then the Messiah died, and his entire plan was disrupted. Some of you guys feel the same way. You have a plan. Man, you're like, okay, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to meet the one. Then I'm going to graduate. We're going to have a baby a couple of years later. We're going to take a lot of trips to Italy and Europe, and life is going to be great. And then you went to college, and you didn't meet somebody, or you did, but they broke your heart, and then they broke up with you. And then you're trying to figure out life in a new town, and it's not going the way that you thought it was going to go. Maybe your plan entailed being someone who's really successful at your job. And you're like, man, I thought I was going to make it. I thought everybody's going to notice my talent. But here I am still working in a cubicle and I'm still working really hard and no one sees it. And you feel like you have questions. And it's not because of God's goodness, but simply because of your situation. You're like, where are you, God, in the middle of all this? You're disrupting my plan. The third kind of doubt that comes to us is the doubt of pain, the doubt of pain. You know, here's the thing that's a reality for many of us. One of the reasons why we may doubt is not because of Jesus, but because of the people that follow Jesus. We've been hurt by a pastor or by a church or by abuse or by our parents or by people that said that they love Jesus, but they did not love us. And so when we look at Christians, we are very skeptical of their motives. And we're not sure we can trust them because we don't know if they're just trying to use us for their fame or try to use us and the stuff that we have for their gain. That rhymed. I didn't mean to make it rhyme, but it did. And yet, many of us distrust the leaders because we've been burned by them. And I, I wonder if Thomas is in this space 
like this. He, see, he says, I want to touch the, the scar wounds that Jesus has in order for me to believe. But maybe he's asking for that because he himself has his own scars. He's been wounded. He has experienced trauma seeing his leader, his friend, murdered. And he doesn't know what to do with it. Sometimes the people who express doubt, or if you and I are expressing doubt, because I've been in a place where I feel doubt. It's okay, pastors can feel doubt too. We don't know where God is in the middle of things sometimes. Sometimes we feel the pain of, a, of loneliness or loss or a loss of a relationship. We go, God, where are you in the middle of this? In those moments... It's easy to feel that pain and not want to enter into it and wonder where God is in the middle of all this. And here you find Thomas expressing that. But he wasn't always like that. The first time we see Thomas in the Bible is actually in John chapter 11. I just want you to see a picture of Thomas before. He was known as Thomas the Doubter. This is what I call Rambo Thomas, okay? In verse 16, um, Thomas hears about Lazarus dying and Jesus says, I'm gonna go to him. And uh, Thomas becomes very concerned because there are people who want to kill Jesus at this point. And so Thomas is like, okay, we're gonna go Jesus. We're gonna go all the way and we're willing to go with you. And this is what he says. He says to his fellow disciples, let's go too so we can die with him. That's a very different kind of person than the one who's doubting. He's willing to die for Jesus. But because Jesus went on and died without him, now he's feeling the pain and loss of his friend. And then perhaps the last reason why we doubt is the downtime, the waiting. You know, here's an interesting question. Why did Jesus wait to show himself to Thomas? So the story you read, a whole week goes by between the first time Jesus shows up on resurrection day, on Easter morning. He shows up to the women. Then he shows up to the two men at the way to Emmaus. Then he shows up to all the rest of the disciples. And then an entire week goes by. And finally, Thomas is back up in the upper room with everybody else, and Jesus shows up. Now, I love the description here, because what it says is it says, all the doors were locked. Right? No one's allowed in. Jesus all of a sudden like teleports in. It's one of the coolest things about the resurrected Jesus. Like he can just show up uninvited. Nothing can keep him out. He just pops in. He's like, peace be with you. Like you should say, right? Because everybody's freaking out in that moment. He's just like, hello, what's up? Peace. And then he says, Thomas, come here. But Thomas has had to wait for it an entire week has gone by where he's wondering and he's hearing and he's hearing all his friends talk about Jesus, how they saw him and spent time with him. But he's going, I didn't get in on that. And maybe he's doubting his standing with Jesus or he's doubting whether or not this whole thing is made up or it's a big trick or everybody's deluded. And he doesn't know if he can trust because it hasn't happened to him yet. Some of us in this room feel the same way. You know what I'm talking about because you've been waiting. God has promised something for you, you feel he's led you into something or you followed him somewhere, maybe to Nashville, or you followed him into a new job or into a new season. You said goodbye to some things that you knew you needed to say goodbye to, but you don't know if, if he's gonna meet you in the middle of it. You've broken up with someone who's toxic and you're like, okay, I'm single now. And it's really hard because even though that was toxic, at least I wasn't alone to do, 
But I think every single one of us, if we want to be people who are not consumed by our doubts, we need to take this step too. And here's the step that he invites Thomas to take. And the step is to doubt our doubt. To doubt our doubt. Now you may go, what does that even mean to doubt my doubt? How can you doubt a doubt? Well, I just want you guys to hang with me for just a second. Let me, let me talk through this. Tim Keller um, is the one who coined this phrase and the one who kind of unpacks this. So we're going to just trust that he's really smart, okay? And what he says is he says that every time you have a doubt, it's not just a question about a truth claim, right? So it's not just like, is that true or is that not? Every doubt is a competing narrative of reality. What that means is that every time you have a doubt, you're saying, that may not be true because this might be. And sometimes we don't look at the thing that we're comparing against the first truth claim. We're simply saying, I don't like that one, so I'm going to just choose this one. And we don't doubt it. We don't examine it. And when it comes to the Bible, often we'll see something God says about himself something that's true and right, and we don't know if we like it, so we pick something else that just rings true better for us, that seems to match our own priors, and that helps us get what we want out of life. But we don't examine it. We don't doubt that other narrative. And what Keller says, he says, you actually, if you're going to be intellectually honest, you have to hold both things with doubt. And do the hard work to say what is true and what isn't. And Jesus does this. So Thomas has been hearing that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And then Jesus shows up and invites him to doubt that claim that Jesus did not get raised from the dead. And this is what he says. Look with me in the scriptures. Verse 27 says, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. I think it's fascinating. Jesus says to Thomas, word for word, what Thomas said he needed to hear and what he needed to see. And Jesus is not afraid of Thomas's doubt. In fact, he welcomes him and says, I want you to doubt your doubts. I want to show you guys a picture. This is a Caravaggio. And it's shocking. It's a picture that reenacts this story. And you see Jesus and his wound at his side. And you see Thomas looking at it. And you see a couple of the other disciples, which we don't know. But we're going to just say they're Peter and John because they're kind of famous. Um, but I want you to notice something fascinating about this picture. Look at what Jesus is doing. Do you see his hand? It's in the forefront of this picture. Jesus is not pushing Thomas away. He's inviting him in to have his questions answered. He's guiding the hand. Do you see it? And the reason why I chose this picture is because it's a great illustration of what Jesus does with us when we doubt. You know, sometimes we feel like Jesus comes and says, believe or else. The person, not the facts about him, but the actual person. I've been talking to a lot of you for the last couple of weeks, and this has been something that has come up over and over again, doubt. I've talked to a bunch of you guys who've said, I'm struggling with doubt. How can I overcome it? And the way that you overcome doubt, specifically when it comes to issues of faith, 
is recognizing that if you're always looking for data, you'll never have enough. You're never going to have enough because every time you're like, okay, how did this happen? You're going to say, well, well, what about this other question I have? And it becomes a, a chase to a place where you can't ever get to. You can't also be someone only saying, Jesus, you have to answer all my prayers and never bring any disruption because Jesus actually works best in disruption. You can't say, okay, God, my trauma, if, I, if you just make sure that all this trauma goes away, then I'll be better. But Jesus actually has entered into trauma and he, of all people, could have gotten rid of his own, right? Isn't it beautiful that the, the resurrected Jesus continues to have his scars? He could have had those jokers removed, right? But he doesn't see them as blemishes. He sees them as victory marks. And the same thing can be true of you. If you've got pain and suffering, Jesus doesn't just want you to no longer have it. He wants to redeem it and tell a better story through it. And then lastly, some of us feel like we're just waiting on God over and over again. But Jesus wants us to doubt the timing that we're questioning him on. He wants us to trust him in the middle of it because he alone knows what's best for us. And Thomas responds when he encounters Jesus Christ, he responds with a proclamation that is magnificent. He says, my Lord and my God. This is the first time anyone declares that Jesus Christ is God in the gospels. He moves from unbelief to believe, which is a crazy declaration, by the way, okay? Because a bunch of these guys grew up with Jesus. Some of his cousins are in the room. But to a T, every single one of them declares that Jesus Christ is God. They've encountered something beyond the facts. They've encountered a person who's changed their life forever. And they say, this man is not just man, but he is God. Because they've encountered something that's different. And every single one of us in this room, if we want to come to a place where we've stepped beyond our doubts, we have to actually encounter Jesus because he's not a dead savior. He's a living one who wants to interact with us. So when I've talked to some of you guys who've been wrestling with doubts, I actually was talking to a guy in our church recently who was saying, I mean, I've been struggling with doubts. And he said, the thing that's cured me of them is actually I asked Jesus to meet me in the middle of it and he got there. And that has become an anchor and I don't doubt anymore because I know Jesus. Because he's still alive and still working. And that's my story. Man, I, I don't know if you know my story, but I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were missionaries, so that was like double gold stars for me, okay? Solid Christian kid. Um, was at every youth group, every church service, front row. My dad even called me out for talking in church. I was that kid. He was like, from the stage, stop, okay? It was like, you know you're like in church too much when your dad's disciplining you from the pulpit, okay? But that was me. I was in church all the time. And yet, within me, I had a lot of doubts. And so when I went off to college, I went as far away from home as I could. I went to Minneapolis, Minnesota. I didn't know anybody there. But I chased after the world. I was like, now I want as much of the world as I can have because I don't know if God is real. And it took someone inviting me over to his house for the summer to go serve at a summer camp and where I got still enough and quiet enough where I could ask the hard questions, say, God, are you real? And in that moment, God overcame my doubts because he met me there. The same can happen for you. 
But I have a question I need to ask. I think one of the unseen people in the story, and I think this helps us as a ministry, as a community, to kind of get our minds around, is there's an unseen element to the story. Because when we think about Jesus being the one who's patient and careful and willing to enter into the, the, the strangeness of doubt with Thomas. And we see Thomas as a man who's wrestling with doubt, but then finds Jesus and his life is forever changed. But there's a third part of this, and that's the community. I think it's beautiful to see the community that rallies around Thomas. His friends are willing to get messy with him, even though he's like, I don't believe in Jesus. They don't force him to have all the right answers before he meets Jesus. They say, you can belong here before you believe. You can be a part of this thing and we'll create space. You can come to the gathering until you actually meet Jesus. And I was thinking about that this week. I was like, man, wouldn't that be a cool thing about Kairos? I think it's part of our DNA over the years. But I think it's good for us to tease that idea out. Kairos should be a place where people can belong to a community and then find Jesus. That they don't have to have all the right answers. They can wrestle with their doubt and they can come out on the other side because they actually had the space to meet the savior of the world. And maybe that's you tonight. You're in a place where you're doubting. You don't know what God is doing. You don't know what's next. But this is a place where you can ask those questions. We go have people who will sit knee to knee with you and say, you know what, it's okay. You can ask those questions. And we're not going anywhere and we're not scared because we've been there too. But we just met Jesus and he's changed our life. So tonight we're going to take 120 seconds. It's something we do around here. Every Kairos, we just take 120 seconds, two minutes to focus on the, the centerpiece of this message. So I'm going to invite the band to come up to kind of like give us a moment to just process this. And we have one question that we ask during this time. And I'm going to ask them to put them on the screen here for us so you guys can look at it. Or this, this screen. And I just want you to sit in this as Johnny plays before we continue our time of worship. The question is this, what doubt do you need to doubt tonight? Some of us, you may need to doubt the fact that God has forsaken you or that he's delaying. I don't know what it is that you need to say, I need to give this to Jesus. But may you take this time to say, Jesus, I'm willing to, to be open to what you want from me and what you're doing in my life. Don't let this moment pass you by. This is a time where you can do business with God and say, God, I'm open to not be someone who's not believing, but someone who actually interacts with you and meets you in this moment. Let's just take this moment.